looks even smokier than it, than it is. Um, but we're, uh, we're excited to be here together. We're excited to be a part of this uh, here at, at Outward Church. Uh, can I just say something uh, real quick in regards to giving? So we have members, and then we have people who just call Outward Church home that are on top of that that haven't become members yet or whatever. Can I just give you a quick encouragement? This isn't for anybody else. This is for the folks that call Outward Church home that are, that are members here. Uh, as we go into September here, um, a lot of times giving slows down. I don't know why. I'm, school is starting. People forget. I don't know what it is. But uh, this September especially, and I, I mean, it's probably, it probably has to do with the, uh, uh, the wildfires. Uh, it could, could be any of those things. And so we've tried to be pretty sensitive to that uh, just as we've been in the midst of a pandemic and everything that's going on by just saying, hey, if you can't give and you actually need help, we want to help you. Um, if, if you're in a place, you're in a bind where, where you can't do that, uh, we want to encourage you. Uh, that we, we want to help you in whatever way is necessary. If you can give and continue to give your regular amount, that would be super helpful during this time. We're down fairly significantly for, the, uh, for this month, and so I just, I just need to say it. I, I want to encourage you uh, to continue giving, if at all possible. I don't typically uh, say this on a, uh, on a regular basis. I'm saying it now because we want to stay ahead of the game as we go into the fall. Uh, two things are going on here. Obviously, we've got the wildfires that we're going to be helping out with. We want to continue to be able to be uh, helping out with things like that. We didn't advertise this, but we, we bought like, uh, uh, it was actually $671 worth of stuff from, the, uh, from Costco the other day and took it out to Silverton. They actually, uh, Silverton Fire Department, they actually had uh, too much food already by that time, so I took it to, uh, to Staten, and so your giving helps with things like that. And so I was actually, and this is a cool story, I was walking through Costco, a guy saw me and my son Marshall loading up the cart, and he said, are you buying food for people? And I said, yeah, for the firefighters. He said, here, take this, he handed me 100 bucks. And, um, and so uh, I used it on the food, but um, in, in any case, um, but in any case uh, that was super cool. So your, your giving helped out with that. Uh, that was one way that we could help out. And so I uh, just encourage you, continue to give. Um, um, and then on top of that, we want to give a, above and beyond uh, to whatever else is going on, which uh, my, in my estimation, I think the real need is going to be happening over probably the next year. It, it'll become more apparent as we get into the next couple of weeks. I, I went down to the, um, uh, the fairgrounds the other day, and the folks down there told me that people normally get four to seven nights in a hotel. If they can find a hotel for them, they do have people that are actually sleeping in, uh, the, at, at the fairgrounds there on cots and, and so forth, but they're not going to have that forever. And so I don't, I don't know what type of humanitarian crisis we're going to have here, but for folks that did not have renter's insurance, for people who, who uh, did not have uh, anything in the bank, who lost um, all of their worldly possessions, um, it's, it's going to be challenging. And so um, I, I want to encourage our church to be ready for that. Uh, I want us to be ready for that on a number of different levels, regular giving, and then on top of that, how are we going to serve in our community? How are we going to serve the people um, that lost homes? And my, my 
assumption is that all the way up the San Am Canyon there, all the way up the, to Detroit and, and so forth, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. I don't know what it's going to be. It may be we're going to help people sift, literally sift through the rubble of their lives and, and try to find uh, possessions that they uh, want to keep or, or something along those lines. But I want us to be ready. So would you be ready with me in, in that sense? We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 19 and go from there. Uh, this is, uh, it's, it's a great passage for the season that we're in uh, right now. So um, I'm, I'm excited about that. We've been talking about um, this uh, all the way through Luke chapter 8 here, where Jesus has been communicating uh, what it looks like to be a follower of him. And so he had talked about the parable of the sower or the, or the parable of the soils. And, and so what he talked about there was that there's four different kinds of soil, uh, three that are, that are bad, and then one that is the good soil. And the good soil is the one that receives the word of God and then produces fruit. So Jesus wants us to know that producing fruit or actually acting on his word is what he wants to see. We, we do believe the gospel here, which is that we cannot get to God by doing works. But Jesus says this. He says, if God has gotten to you, then you will have fruit that is produced in your life. You will have f- fruit. You will, there will be results out of your life that show that, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Too many of us uh, forget about that. We've lived lives however we want to. And what inevitably happens is this, is that we're, we call ourselves Christian, but we're Christian in, in name only. And so Jesus is pushing back against the idea that you can be a church attender, call yourself a Christian, and then think that you know, somehow with your life never changing that you should have some type of relative peace that you are in Jesus' family or something along those lines. And in fact, he talks about that in this first verse here, which I'm just going to briefly cover because we didn't cover it last week, which is uh, verse 19 of chapter 8. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. There's so many people around Jesus, uh, and they couldn't reach him because of the crowd, and he, was, and he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And Jesus is saying this, and I think Jesus means this for everyday believers uh, today, here and now. The, the gospel, the cross, is assumed in these statements. It's, it's assumed in that those who have received Jesus Christ by faith, his uh, death, burial, resurrection as sufficient to cover their sins and to allow them to be saved, those people are people who hear his word and do it. He answered them, my, bro- my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. My family, the people who are a part of my thing, the people who are in my, in my deal, those people are the people who hear my words and act on them. And so I, our question this morning is, uh, are we hearing the words of Jesus and then acting on those words? Do you hear what Jesus has to say to you? That's what, that's what this, these last few weeks have been about. Are you hearing the word of God? There's some practical implications there. Are you reading the word of God? Are you listening to the word of God? Are you around other people who are speaking the word of God into your life? 
Are you somebody who's ingesting uh, the word, taking it in, allowing it to be planted in you and producing fruit? Are you hearing the word and then acting on it? Because intimacy with God, relationship with God is found in this. He initiates relationship with us. He is the one who uh, brings us from death to life. But our ongoing relationship, our ongoing connection with God is found in acting on his word. And then he's going to give us a story. Jesus is going to tell us a story. And so let me read that story for you, and then we'll, we'll talk about it here for a few minutes. It says, one day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was complete calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? So Jesus tells a story and his story is this. There's a great crowd of people that are following him. He's healing all kinds of people all the way around him. He's raised people from the dead. There's all kinds of crazy things happening. And you can imagine after many days of doing this that he is tired He's exhausted, and so he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake, guys. And so they hop in a boat, they get into this boat, and they start going across this body of water. Now, this body of water is not a sea, it's like a, it's a lake. And so they're going across this, this lake, and he falls asleep. So one of the things that we need to see about Jesus is this, is that Jesus is a man, he gets tired. He gets tired. He gets exhausted. He runs out of energy. He's helping all kinds of people. He comes to the end of the day and he is exhausted. Jesus feels what you feel because Jesus was a man. Jesus experiences what you've experienced because Jesus is, really is a man. He's not just God. He is a man also. He experiences being tired, and being exhausted. So Jesus also experiences what we experience. And it says this, a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now, when we think of a windstorm, oftentimes when I was a kid, I would think of choppy seas, which are kind of like, oh, this is kind of uncomfortable. Like, I, uh, you know, sometimes people might go, I can get a little seasick, you know, and, and uh, that kind of thing. But what I'm told is this, is that the words used here are akin to a hurricane. They're akin to <clears throat> a earthquake on the sea. There, it is so massive. It's this massive storm, and there's these, uh, there's these waves that are going up and then down. And then one commentator pointed out that this is not the sea that has these rolling waves where you can point your, the nose of your boat into it and go 
up one side and down the other and stuff like that. But this is inconsistent waves that they hit you from this side and then that side and then push you this way. And then they're going everywhere. And it is not just uncomfortable, but it is absolutely terrifying. It's such a scary boat ride. This is not in a canoe and the wind starts to blow. This is not anything like that. I was just in Texas visiting family the, uh, you know, earlier this summer here. We haven't been there in forever. And so we went there and, and uh, we were on, on the side of this lake and there were no boats or anything. And so I said, you know, I, I want to go get something fun for the kids one day. So I rented this, this jet ski uh, that was affordable. And so I uh, went and got this jet ski and, and took the boys from the marina like 11 miles on the lake over to the lake house. Well, uh, we played all day on it and uh, it, was, it was amazing. I took my kids, uh, uh, it says, 100 miles an hour on a jet ski. So that was pretty amazing. My wife was very excited about that. And so, uh, but they had never been 100 miles an hour before. And so I thought it is my job as the father to bring danger into this equation. And so uh, <clears throat> anyway, so we did all of that. And then, so I said, oh, okay, I'll take the girls back with me back to the marina, 11 miles across the lake. It's late in the day. And so I, uh, I, you know, we're pulling out of this cove and start going, we start getting into the middle of the lake. And I realized this is not what it was when I came across in the morning. It was getting choppy. It was getting really choppy. And, you know, you're driving on this jet ski, bam, bam, bam. And, and I've got my two daughters with me, and, I'm, I, and, and I've got my phone with me, and I can't tell where this marina is, so I keep having to take my phone out, and I've got it in a Ziploc bag in case it dies. I have no idea where I'm going. I'm trying to find where I'm going. And then all of a sudden, uh, the uh, jet ski starts beeping at me because it's low on gas, and I'm in the middle of a lake, and it's getting late, and I have my daughters. And so the, the headlines are rolling through my head of, like, man disappears with daughters on lake and all, you know, those types of terrible things. I got back on and, and everything was fine. This situation that we're in here is much more scary than that. These guys are absolutely terrified. It says the boat starts filling with water. It's not just that it's rough seas. It is gigantic. I don't know, 30 foot uh, 30 foot waves, something like that. It is, it is unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable what's going on. And, it's, and they are in danger. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in this situation? Can you imagine for a second what it would be like to be in the midst of a storm? See, this, this whole picture here, it represents the storms of life. Jesus has just said, my mother and my brothers are those people who hear my word and then act on it. They do it. They're the people who are hearing from me and then they're acting on it. So then Luke starts telling the story. So then we're on this lake and then all of this stuff starts happening. And so what Luke, what God through Luke is trying to say to us is something. This storm represents the storms of life. Do we know of any storms right now? We know of anything that's going on that might be uh, kind of intense? I mean, when people say that 2020 has been a bad year, I mean, that feels like an understatement, right? I mean, this, this feels like, oh my gosh. But I gotta tell you, there's been many, uh, there, there have been many, many years, in fact, in fact, decades or centuries that were much worse than 2020. I think 
humanity, at least in America, has become very soft. This isn't World War II. This is not, you know, any of those other things that have gone on. However, it's new for us. And so we have a p- pandemic. Massive, it, we do, I, I feel like I say this every Sunday, pandemic. Massive rioting, looting, burning in the streets. We have uh, then a, a massive wildfire that's threatening our communities and taking out whole communities in Oregon. Oregon is on fire. Like 500,000 people displaced uh, so far that have been evacuated. I don't know how many homes will have been lost, but I think I heard it was in the thousands maybe. I mean, down in Phoenix, entire neighborhoods, all the way down San Am Canyon. These are the storms of life. These are the situations that we run into. But it's not just that kind of storm. It's, it's, it's a storm that happens like when you show up to work one day and boss calls you into the office and says, hey, man, hey, girl, <laughs> woman, whatever, however you'd refer it. I just, why did that just trip me up so bad? But all right, all right. Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, hey, you. Um, <laughs> you're fired. I got to let you go. That's a storm of life. When you come home one day and he says or she says, I want a divorce. When it seems like everybody at school hates you. It seems like everybody is against you. It seems like whatever. When when the career doesn't work out the way that you thought it was going to or the hopes that you had of a career choice uh, slip through your fingers. It's not just massive storms, but that seems pretty applicable right now, but it is every storm of life. This is what Jesus is talking about. Luke wants us to see what Jesus has to say about that. And it says this in verse 24, and they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. This story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark says, save us. Actually, that's Matthew. Mark says, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care about what's going on? I mean, how can you sit there and sleep? But this is pretty amazing, isn't it? That Jesus is sitting there and he's able to sleep through massive waves. He's able to sleep through the smashing of water up against the boat there. And here are his disciples who are saying, Master, don't you care about us? Don't you care? Well, here's one thing that you need to know about God. I don't know what you felt like on Tuesday as we started hearing the stories of whatever day it was, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, I can't remember which one it was, hearing the stories of the fire raging down Sandy M Canyon, the fires raging all over the place. I don't know what you felt like, but there's, but there's a sense in which we can kind of ask the question, God, are you asleep? Are you sleeping right now? Where are you in the midst of all of this? How come you don't just send your rain? God, where are you? Where are you in the middle of this? Does it feel like God is sleeping sometimes? 
Does it feel like sometimes, like, God, I have done everything that you've asked me to do, and yet you don't seem to bless what I'm doing. You didn't bless my marriage, or you didn't bless uh, my, my career, and you didn't bless what have you. See, Jesus wants us to know something. You gotta hear his word to do it or to act on it. But too often, what has happened is that we're not hearing his word, and so therefore we cannot act on it. And so we wrongly assume, and we're just like the disciples. Are you sleeping? How can you sleep during a time like this? How can you do this? So there's this sleeping Jesus And then it says, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. Now people try to say that this wasn't a real miracle, that maybe he was calming down the disciples and they kind of, they, Jesus is an an, an incredible mariner and so he got them, you know, into shore and like, no, put the sail this way or, you know, that's not what happened. Jesus has command over nature. That's what it's saying. He speaks and boom, it's done. He speaks and it is done. He rebukes the winds and the waves. But then verse 25 says, and he said to them, there's a rebuke in this, where is your faith? Why'd you doubt me? Why did you doubt that I could do this? Why did you doubt that I had control over this situation. Notice what Jesus isn't saying. He's not saying, hey, you don't have any faith. Get some faith and then come back and talk to me. No, Jesus says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Where is the faith that you have in me that you said that you have? So let's talk about that for a second. Where is your faith in the midst of the storm? When life's circumstances come crashing down on us, when bad things happen and we lose our minds, one thing we can be sure of is that our faith is not there with Jesus. Our faith is somewhere else. Jesus says, I want you to hear the word of God and then do it. Intimacy with me, Jesus, looks like you trusting me in any and all situations. When I lose my mind, when I freak out, and there's a lot of reasons to freak out, when I lash out in anger, when I cannot get over these things, when I find myself in regular depression or anxiety over the situation in life, when I find myself so fearful through the things that are going on these days that I don't feel like I can leave the house, there might be a problem. Let me clarify something here real quick. There are some people who have underlying health conditions or live with people with underlying health conditions and they need to be careful. But let's just talk about the fear for a minute. Let's just talk about the fear. When I have fear that is disabling, when I have fear that keeps me from being able to act, when I have fear, 
Jesus is at our door and he is asking, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Warren Wearsby says this. He says, their problem was not the storm around them, but the unbelief within them. Actually, their unbelief was more dangerous than the storm. Where was their faith? Their faith was not in Jesus. Their faith was in their perceived ability to be able to control their surroundings. Their their thought process that somehow they had life under control. They had it by the tail. They had what they needed. Our world has seemed like it was under control because of the great wealth that we have. Our lives have been improving more and more because of technology on some level. Where is our faith? Our faith is in our ability to control our surroundings. Our faith is in our ability to control the things that are happening. Our faith is in our ability to please God even. Our faith is in our ability, our control, our our thought process that somebody's got it under control other than God. Where is our faith? Because it's not here. It's not in this place. It's not with me. It's not with you. It's not with us. He's saying, where is your faith? Their faith was in their own abilities. It was in their own understanding. It was in their ability to see that, God, you should have acted. Jesus, why are you sleeping? See, they, they're thinking to themselves, hey, Jesus, I think that you should have not allowed the storm to come in. But the storm, although Jesus doesn't cause the storm, the storm is a part of what Jesus is using in the life of disciples. Although Jesus doesn't cause that storm, Jesus uses all things to bring us to himself that we might find him. So Jesus is using this. Our problem is this, is that we look at what's happening. We say, God, you're asleep. You wouldn't have allowed this to happen if you really loved me. That's really what they're asking when they're saying, don't you see or don't you care that we're dying here? They're saying, you don't love us. Your timing is off, God. You would have done something differently if you knew what I knew. Where is their faith? It's in themselves. And men and women, boys and girls, you can bet this. When we lose our heads, when we get angry, when we sin, when we, when we suffer on a regular basis outside of biological causes for various ailments, when we are losing our minds in that respect, you can bet It has to do with a spiritual problem. See, everything is spiritual. It's a spiritual problem. Everything is spiritual. When we're losing our minds, it's because of this. Because our faith is not in God. It's in 
something else altogether. See, faith is, 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 is something that doesn't just turn on automatically. A lot of us who've grown up in the church think, okay, I have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, my, my mother and my brothers are the people that, active, that have activated their faith. Faith is not something that just kind of automatically comes on. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones uses a great illustration for this. He says, it's not like it's a thermostat in your house where the temperature goes up and then all of a sudden the air conditioning kicks on and it brings it, it brings it down. Faith is not something that automatically comes on. Jesus is saying, your faith doesn't automatically come on. Where is it? Where is your faith? It's not automatically coming on here. And that's not what it is. It doesn't automatically come on. It, he says, my mother and my brothers are the people who know me. They have heard my word. They know what I say about them and they believe it. And they act on it. See, faith doesn't kick on automatically. Faith must be applied. And our faith must be applied in this way. Jesus says in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I'm saying these things to you so that you're going to be able to have peace in the midst of a pandemic. You're going to be able to have peace in the midst of Massive wildfires. You're going to be able to have peace in the midst of losing your job, your marriage, your, your home, whatever it is. You're going to be able to have peace. He says, I've said these things so that you would have peace. And here's the great comfort that we have. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says this, peace does not come. Peace in the midst of the storm. Your ability to trust in God in the midst of the storm does not come from your ability to control the circumstances. Peace in the midst of the storm does not come from everything going well for you. Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to you. What it means is this, is that you will, you have the opportunity, you have the ability to be able to apply what you know about God in that situation. It's in those moments. And the first thing you need to know is this, because uh, Dr. Timothy Keller says 50% of our problem in the midst of disaster situations, in the midst of the storm is surprise. It's surprise. I'm surprised every time I turn around in 2020. But the surprise of, oh my goodness, this happened. Jesus says, hey, don't be surprised. In this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have difficult things. Bad things happen to you. Jesus says, don't be surprised about that. Rather, I want you to take heart. Where's your faith? Your faith must be in the words of Jesus Christ when he says, I am saying this so that you have peace. You're going to have hard times, but you must apply. You must activate your faith in this way. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. He is the one who has 
overcome all things. How do we activate our faith? Well, the disciples of all people should have known, they should have been aware of it, but they're just like us. They've been walking through town after town after town, and Jesus has been healing people. He's raised people from the dead. He's about to uh, you know, cast some demons out of somebody. He, Jesus is Lord of all things. He can overcome all things in this world. They see Jesus and what he's doing, and yet they never take it to heart that they see that he has overcome the world, that they see that he has overcome all of these circumstances. They never take it to heart. They don't do it. So how do we put that to work? We must see Jesus on a regular basis in the scriptures doing what he's doing. We must be looking at him, looking in his eyes, looking at how he loves. Where is our faith? Our faith is in our surroundings. Jesus says, I want you to put faith in who I am. I want you to put faith in what I've already shown you. So are we putting our faith in what he's already been showing us on a regular basis? We must put faith in this, in the fact that it is his timing. It is his decision. It is his prerogative as creator to do whatever he wants, wherever he wants. And to sit down here on the earth that he created and look up to him who has a much greater vantage point. He can see all things from the beginning of time to the end of time. He sees eternally. He knows what he's created. And to sit here and say, you know, God, you really shouldn't have done that is so foolish because God is the one who who has decided how all things should go. And how do you know whether your pain should end now or later? How do you know whether things should go this way or that way? How do you know whether that should have taken place or not? Where is your faith? Your faith is in your ability to decide that things should and should not happen here or there. And Jesus is saying, I want you to trust my ability to be able to manage the affairs of humanity without your help. Without your help. That's what Jesus wants us to see. See, Jesus sometimes is is asleep or he seems asleep to us. But what did Jesus show them? They've been following Jesus. Oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus shows them in the midst of this boat. You're following me, but you're really not expressing faith in me. You really don't trust me. So men and women, I want to invite you to something. I want to invite you to allow yourself to experience 
the disasters, the pandemics, the riots, the looting, all of this stuff, and to, to see it and say, Jesus said we're going to have tribulation. But to take heart, he's got it under control. He's got it. I wouldn't have done it this way. I don't know why God allowed a, a wildfire. I cannot answer that question. But he did. And so how are we going to trust him in the midst of that? The last thing is this, is that you may be in the middle of this situation and, you, and you're losing your mind. I mean, let's all be honest. There are times when it's appropriate to lose our minds. God's big enough. He can, he can handle it. But what happens is this. They still go to Jesus. They don't start bowing down to other gods. They don't, they don't just sit there and scream and yell. And whatever. They still know to go to Jesus. They're like children. We are like children. And all Jesus wants is this. Just yell out to me. It doesn't matter how small your faith seems right now. Just yell out to me. And tell them, tell them what you think. God, don't you care? God, don't you, don't you care that my business is failing? Don't you care that my life is coming apart? Don't you care? See, that's faith. It's not super mature faith, but it's faith. It's just a mustard, mustard seed. It's just a little bit, but that's faith. See, many of us are sitting here and we're saying, man, I, I, I'm not like that. You know what? It's true. I'm not like that. Gosh. But I just, I at least want to be like the disciples and say, Master, Master, we are perishing. And that's what Jesus wants from you. Because maybe you haven't even began a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you thought you did. You've been, a, you've been an American, and, and so you thought you just got included because you went to church as a kid or something like that. But the thing that you have to see is this, is that Jesus, all Jesus wants from us is just the smallest bit of, I am perishing, I am dying. I cannot control the situation. When you get to the point where you say, you're able to acknowledge, I cannot control the situations in my life anymore. But Jesus, you can. Because of this, the biggest example of why our faith should be in him is that he went through the ultimate storm. The cross is the proof that Jesus went through the ultimate storm for me and for you. Jesus went through the ultimate storm and he wasn't saved in timing that we would have liked. He was allowed to go to death by the Father. 
It's likely that he heard the same words. Depart from me. I never knew you. For a moment, for a time, as he went to the grave, taking our sins there with it, in tow. And he goes to the grave in that perfect storm. And then he's resurrected from the grave. He comes out of the storm unscathed. And he says, this was for you. In fact, as the band comes forward, let's partake of communion here together. If you grabbed communion on the way in. Jesus is saying to you and to me, I went through the ultimate storm for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment in confession. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Where is my faith? You're human. I'm human. We know our faith is not in Jesus the way that it should be all the time. Where have I lost faith in Jesus? Your and my sin is a result of a lack of faith in Jesus. It's saying, I know better. I know how to get pleasure. I know how to get power. I know how to get this outside of you, God. That's sin. Confess it to him now. Confess your idolatry of your own abilities, of your own timing, of your own way of life. Confess that you have worshiped other gods other than the true and the living God. Now let's apply the gospel to that. Jesus says this, my body was broken in the ultimate storm. My body was burned. My body was made sick. My body took everything on for you. This is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the body. And he says this, he says, this is my blood which was shed in the storm. This is my blood that was shed so that you may have faith in me, so that I could give you the faith to be able to believe in me. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the blood. Lord Jesus, this morning, we thank you and we praise you that you went through the storm on our behalf, Lord, so that we can trust you. Lord God, would you 
stir up faith in us. Lord, may we recognize as we go through this coming week. Lord, I pray that each one of us here and those listening online would remember that we must apply this to our lives this week. Where is your faith? Jesus is asking you, where is your faith in this moment? Because it's not in me. It's in something. Lord, may we remember that. It's in your name we pray. Let's continue to worship here for a few moments.